Welcome to Stories, a thread within the Protein podcast that features the stories behind the people at the intersection of community, culture, and technology. For this episode, we spoke to Amber Atherton about her new book, The Rise of Virtual Communities, which dives into the platforms and spaces that have shaped some of the most influential online subcultures, something that's always close to our heart here at Protein. Amber, welcome to the Protein Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Delightful to be back in rainy London. It is. You've just missed the rainstorm, so well done. Um, Yeah, really excited to have you here in our studio in Shoreditch today uh, to talk about your new book um, and hopefully some other anecdotes of your your story so far. Um, But why don't we start with you know, a big question, a question we've been asking ourselves um, about what community really means to you. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, sadly, it's one of those words now that's lost its original meaning. It's become so commoditized. It's become sort of a marketing buzzword. But what it means to me is having a group of people that I share an interest with, share a geographic location with and want to hang out and show up with. So in its most simple form, it's like something that gives you a sense of belonging, understanding, and then on the other side, it's utility. So I'm learning things. I'm in a philosophy community, and that to me is really enriching because I have lots of great debates with other philosophy nerds, and I like showing up there for our Saturday virtual sessions sweet i was going to ask you what are any favorite communities you'd like to plug show shine some light on i well we were just chatting about physical spaces and i really care about that how uh, you know what is the modern community center so this is maybe an obvious one but i think rafa does an awesome job the cycling brand of cultivating community uh you know you show up there particularly in san francisco you show up that's where you meet your crew before you go out on a ride or you like come back and you get a coffee there so i i love those types of companies that blend physical ritual with then like a virtual space where you can ask questions about cycling in a group chat Mm. i've cycled once but i may now be encouraged to cycle more so so does that (laughs) So is that your is that your induction in terms of your entry requirement for Rafa is to make is to at least go on one one cycle ride? I, I think it's basic. If you live in San Francisco long enough, it's only a matter of time until you start wearing lycra and <laughs> cycling around Marin. So, but I, but I think they they do a good job, and I also um, I also really like this other this community that is for it's called Super Founders Club, and it's for second time founders. Um, and that has been phenomenally valuable to me. And it's a WhatsApp group, a e- monthly email, and then kind of quarterly meetups. And it's just so useful because everyone in that group has started a company, it's been acquired or they've sold it. And they're now everyone's kind of in that similar shared context of like, what are we doing? And I think that is such a key pillar of community. It's like, do you have a shared context for being in this space? What is it? Like, are you a new mother? Have you sold a company? Are you just getting into cycling? And like, that is the essence to me. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, got it. And how big is that, just out of context? Because I think from our point of view, communities, and certainly from the research we've just put out, it's not quantify you know the quantifiable number is isn't actually what's important it's about the depth of that meaning and 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 those relationships yeah i i think that there are different frameworks you can use for understanding like how many people should be in a community to make it valuable and uh you might say, well, actually, it's only, you know, 20% of the people that are the most active. And then it's okay if 80% are lurking but still get value. In Super Founders Club, I think it's like 100 people now, something like that, around that number. But new people keep getting added. And what's happening now is that chapters are opening up in different cities across the US. And then there are real-life meetups in those cities. And I think you see that in a lot of communities as they scale out of their original location yeah, yeah nice um just back on rafa what i loved about them still love about them i'm not quite a lycra cycling type um but Yet. still <laughs> i need to move to san francisco um the fact that they call their retail stores clubhouses uh you yeah, know that's the insight in terms of even the definition of the role of you know retail or, yep. or redefining the role of retail in yep. terms of how, how they show up but. I, but and i also think that brands uh should understand that value exchange of what is a member of your community mm-hmm. getting for showing up for contributing and if you give people a physical space where they can have a sense of utility they can work for a bit they can meet a friend for a coffee or they can learn something mm. great yeah we talk a lot about give give get in terms like of establishing that relationship and you know you're giving more than you're asking and um anyway new little mechanics that's actually just like good relationship advice generally. i mean right <laughs> <laughs> give give get i like it give more than you receive yes um any more favorite communities oh um well, there's, there's a community that I'm not in that I was talking to a friend about and stalking that the you other day. That I kind of maybe want to be in. Um, uh, a really fantastic community. I'm going to call her a community expert. She uh, she was the head of community at Glossier, and now she's the head of community at Geneva. And she was telling me about these IRL meetup communities in New York, and, and one of them is just New York girls going to the cinema. And it's just like a crew of New York girls. They're there in the chat. And then every week they go see different movies together. And I think there's something so lovely and wholesome about that. Because going back to like why bother with community is it is to make friends, really. So that's a nice one. Mm, Sounds quite boys clubby. Yeah. Yeah, love those guys. Yeah, girls. Exactly. Girls, no, guys. but they have such a <laughs> boys club's awesome because it has such a specific tone. They have crushed the application process, and it's just it's so thoughtful. And I think, uh, yeah, a lot of people just don't put that effort in in the beginning of like, well, who who is coming in here to this yeah. special space? Yeah, true. So talking about those early foundations of community in your book. Um, does an excellent job um it was very nostalgic for me um being someone who remembers web one and most of those platforms even your website i love with i don't know what you found all those og gifts well i would just like to say (laughs) shout out bertie brands and lily ludford two london girls who collaborated with me to build that website and we really trawled into the depths of internet 
way back machine gifts. Yeah, 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 all of that. <laughs> Blinkies. Yeah, I love it. Um, so if, if, if we may, it would be great just to sort of chart, uh, you know, the journey of the book, if yeah. that's all right. Uh-huh. Because, I mean, it personally, it resonated on numerous levels with some of those early platforms, communities, or, you know, and I think there's a, it would be good to distinguish between those two because it's now very much a platform conversation rather than necessarily a community conversation. Um, and then obviously coming up to date with FWB, Water and Music, Web3, tokenized communities. Um, yeah, we'd just love to hear your, you know, I guess quite the summary, but I guess the journey through it for you and any of those stories that are in the book that sort of stand out. Yeah, well, just like very quick, uh, why did I write this book? Um, I almost did archaeology in college went to the UCL Open Day. Did not do it. Um, but have always had this love of like studying history through physical relics. And I got to talking to a friend about all of these amazing virtual worlds and communities that are just going to be lost. And new generations just don't look back enough in history to learn lessons and try and predict the future. So I originally called the book Community Archaeology. I was like, I'm going to go back in history and, you know, figure out what are the lessons from the earliest pioneers pre-internet through to today where we have, you know, uh, blockchain, AI, spatial computing. Um, so so that's kind of the genesis of the idea. And uh, so then I, I started this journey of like, well, who should I speak to first? Um, and yeah, that ended up being the one of the earliest members of The Well, which is a really prolific uh, online community started by Stuart Brand, who founded the Whole Earth Catalog. A lot of people will know him from Steve Jobs' Stanford Address, mm-hmm. where he mentions it. This is sort of like a pre-internet catalog where you could find out you know, how to fix a car or like live on the frontier. And The Well was the electronic version of that. And um, he's very famous for the stay hungry, stay foolish tagline. So it started there. And, uh, and and then we went to, you know, Mosaic browser, like pre-BBS, and then all the way through to where we are. But um, yeah, it was, it was a real fascinating journey to understand the technological challenges that some of these founders faced with building communities. Even just getting their members internet access was fascinating. Mm. No, and that was, that's what resonated, like that, that early internet and... I mean, there was a couple of anecdotes even, I mean, on that, it's just access. And if you think about now how ubiquitous technology is, it's in your pocket, whereas then it was dial-up, even like pre-dial-up, it was like even how would people find or even hear about this? And I think there's a lot of crossovers or analogies. I don't know this is much about virtual communities or digital communities, but, you know, those offline communities from, you know, yeah, the web the the m25 raves back in the day right that's sort of text messages or little secret codes right there's like if you know you knows and you know they're all driven by single points of interest or points of you know um of connection um but ultimately that technology wasn't there to you know make it discoverable make it make it established and that's why like the internet felt like a village basically because you would just see the same people in the well or in echo which was the east coast version of the well and you would all sort of know each other and that was another really cool 
thread, like thread in the book is, you know, Katarina Fake, who co-founded Flickr. She originally worked with Howard Rheingold at Electric Minds, which was what he started out of the well. And so everyone is like loosely connected in that very early village of the internet. And, um, uh, Jim, who founded the palace, which a lot of people will know from dolls, which were a very like iconic internet moment. Um, these sort of like paperclip dolls. And it was the first 3d avatar chat room where you could use your own avatar, but he has this analogy of, you know, seeding communities with, you find the queen bee. And so they would go off into, you know, echo or to the well and try and get people to come to the palace. And, um, yeah, it was like you said, it was very, you know, who, you know, type of thing before access really scaled. Yeah. It feels like a, a little social graph there of all those key players and the interconnections. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So mapping through some of those early communities, which, uh, you know, formidable in terms of their role of popular culture or creative outputs from Twitters to Reddit. I want to talk about Reddit because today is an important Reddit oh, day. Big day, big day. <laughs> Going to yeah. come to that in a minute. Um, but mapping that to your own journey of your startup, um, we'd just love to hear yeah, how that came about, what influenced what, and ultimately where that ended up and yeah, what brought you here or how that's come full circle back to you here today. Yeah, wow. Um, well, I mean, there's just so many stepping stones. You know, you can't connect the dots looking forward, only looking back. And I I think, you know, I, I was mentioning to you earlier, I spent a lot of time as a kid playing Roller Coaster Tycoon, playing SimCity, building my own mini clip games and flash e-cards. So I, I'd always had this fascination with building things. And my, my dad was like computer hobbyist. And um, yeah, so I, I started a lot of stuff when I was a kid on the internet. And uh, what, what age was this? Oh my God, I was like nine. <laughs> And I was awesome. doing all this stuff and, uh, yeah. And, and I continued to do it until I, until it was the era of blogging and I had a blog and that was, you know, like pre-influencer, obviously pre-Instagram, you just had a WordPress blog. And, um, I started selling jewelry, became this marketplace and, uh, what, inspired me to start Zyper, which was the community software company is I started, uh, building a fan community of my customers. And this was in... I don't know, 2014. So it was a while ago. <laughs> and, um, but that started, you know, to make me think like, why is there not more, uh, ways for people to connect with their real fans? And that led me to this idea. Zyper was originally called brand fan girl. Um, anyway, <laughs> change that to Zyper sounded more Silicon Valley. And, um, yeah. And then I, I, I started that to, um, solve that problem. Like how can we help more brands and businesses have this private chat with their fans and customers and how do we find those people? And it was a really interesting computer vision NLP moment to that. We start, we um, registered a patent for how we did all of that. Went did my combinator and then eventually we're, we were acquired by Discord. And I spent a amazing few years there uh, experimenting with how might we bring new types of customers to users and community members to Discord, not just gamers. Um, and this was obviously like in the middle of the pandemic. So people were flocking to Discord to find this sense of human connection. Um, so when did Discord acquire your So startup? that was in... Oh, it was at the end of 2020. 
And I hadn't, you know, it was funny because we we did the deal all over Zoom. So I'd never actually met anyone from Discord. And um, and and the the, uh, the other funny thing I'll mention there is that when you when you have a Discord account, it's obviously not your name. It's kind of like your gamer tag. And so the whole time I was at Discord, I I often didn't even know people's real name. I was like, oh, let, let me message Shu about that. Oh no, let me message Cobra Snake Two about this. And that and I just think that's so prescient for like where we're going. But I'm digressing onto other threads. So, but where where I guess um, now. Uh, in January, I joined an early stage venture fund uh, called Patron, and we invest in and around gaming. And one end, that's actual games. On the other end, that's game-like experiences. And obviously, virtual communities and worlds is like a huge part of that. Mm. That's where I am now. That's amazing. Mm. A few points to pick up on that. <laughs> um, no, I love that journey because the, the thread, the constant, if I may, yeah, is human right it's human interaction it's human it's creating you know worlds it's creating opportunities for communities to commune and i i i resonate with that deeply with what we do at protein in terms of the you know our, our variations of, of of similar approaches um because ultimately that's you know that's ultimately what's important uh in terms of like who you're serving um, or who you're building for or, or ultimately what impact or change you're looking to create in the world. And I think that often gets lost with a lot of sort of tech tech, mm-hmm. you know, product looking for solutions. <laughs> Good timing for the fire alarm test. But yeah, we're just maybe just digging in because you talk about identity and that's a key chapter in our in our in our dirty words report. Um, and, and I think specifically within discord and this, this like pseudo identities, right. It's a little bit, it's not full anonymous. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a little bit like, it's not quite who you are, but it's, you know, it's still you, but it may be a different version of you. And really these platforms and these technologies and is, is, is very much enabling that multiple identity or enabling multiple identities to actually, um, you know, precipitate throughout the world yeah it's an awesome vehicle for self-expression like technology is incredible for that you can show up as different characters as different versions of yourself in different communities and I think to your earlier point about making it feel human we're all so nomadic now you know we rarely like stay in the places that we were born and, and grew up and that's certainly true of my life like I was born in Hong Kong I like lived there lived in the Caribbean for a bit lived in England now I'm in America and so I feel that having these spaces that are mostly virtual has been a weird kind of constant in my life mm-hmm. and there are people that I'm still friends with and, and this is a, a running theme there's people that you're still friends with from you know early chat rooms like a friend I ended up meeting in real life we used to be obsessed with Neopets and we just met up in Hong Kong and actually there's a whole generation of entrepreneurs I think who just uh yeah learned a lot through Neopets and made lifelong friends yeah no it's what brings you together right um Bringing into the sort of Discord to now uh, patron um, stage, if we can call it that, <laughs> era, chapter <laughs> of Amber, um, you know, what, so what excites you about this future? Like in terms of projects, people, just things you're seeing, I'm just glad I get a little barometer of sort of what's, 
what's sort of buzzing in your inbox at the moment? Yeah, so... Wow, the future of the internet is built on gaming DNA. Let's just say that. Like our everyday reality feels more and more like a game and gaming DNA is bleeding into every consumer vertical, healthcare, fitness, shopping. And I think that is super cool because there's loads of positives in gaming. You know, you can make friends, solve problems together. You can increase your like cognitive abilities and, uh, and it's also just a lot of fun. So I, I'm very excited by what we're doing at Patreon and we are backing companies, leading their seed rounds uh, on that spectrum of play is what we call it. So, you know, um, whether it's actual, you know, new AAA games all the way through to, oh, this is like, you know, Duolingo for musicians. Musicians, it's called Tonic. Highly recommend if you want to learn the piano. Um, and so I, I'm excited about that spectrum and then all the technological waves that are coming, whether you're building in blockchain, spatial computing, AI. And it's a real advantage of being in San Francisco because you are still on the complete bleeding edge of crazy experimentation in these fields so yeah I mean we see a ton of interesting pictures every day and um, it's it's a very interesting time to be building <laughs> that's very true mic drop okay thank you for having me <laughs> I mean 100% and um, if we're talking about time right now and you know last week with the apple you know vision announcement you know that feels a milestone i mean i'd love to get your view of how that was received in san francisco versus twitter <laughs> versus the memes well, um, yeah. and also just as apple have genuinely sort of do it's sort of um you know established you know, mainstream products and that in terms of the accessibility, I mean, it's not an accessible price, but in terms of at least making it available, that level of technology um, through a lens of gameplay, through a lens of augmented reality versus, you know, virtual reality. Uh, yeah, just good to get your, yeah, I mean, your, your, your I, take on that. I think, you know, Apple is the best at computing hardware, so it's great that they're showing up here. And I think... They mentioned this in their, you know, Q1 quarterly earnings. Like it's not going to be a blockbuster major revenue play in the short term. But they're doing what a lot of tech, you know, like Uber, that was pretty much just black cars and execs for at least the first year. And so I think coming in at that aspirational price point is going to be incredible for them for user research because you've got all the diehard Apple fans who are 100% going to buy it and they can build in all that feedback to the next version so that it becomes eventually more accessible and not just a cinema, mm -hmm. which is somewhat what it is right now. Extremely high fidelity cinema. The vision of spatial computing is irresistible it's like you know minority report future you're not living in just such a box screen it's going to be much broader so I think they gave us a glimpse of that and you know VCs are in the business of optimism and that is a very optimistic fun future that feels importantly mixed reality it's not supposed to be replacing the beautiful world it's just you know en enhancing Adding, and that's the same with AI, by the way. It's, you know, that that's augmenting human capacity. And I, I think that's, uh, that's sometimes where tech Twitter 
sort of loses it. You you kind of like you you miss the point that it's about human progression and um, yeah, and and augmenting what humans are capable of, whether that's in you know science like education. Imagine from an AI point of view, just completely pivoting my way from spatial computing, but that every kid can have a really patient AI tutor, or every science researcher can have another superpowered assistant like art the scale of human progress i think is going to accelerate exponentially in the next two years yeah <clears throat> no 100 percent, and i'm i'm definitely hopeful for that future uh, both from yeah ai and or, or or ar um because you're right it's it's not about replacing it it's about you know improving it and i remember seeing the first hololens demos back in the day um and yeah, it it was pretty clunky. They were pretty heavy. <laughs> the field of vision was pretty narrow. But yeah, in terms of use case and you know, just human like the experience of it. And that's what Apple does so well. So much better than like full VR immersion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but obviously, the sort of technology. To my point about looking sort of a problem, you know, to fit a problem with a solution that doesn't quite exist yet. That. They are there, and we know they're there. It's just really getting those products into the hands of the devs and the, and you know the hobbyists and well, that's also you know, why like on, on, on the fringes, yeah, ultimately is, is is where coming full circle back to the original you know communities and yeah. Um, yeah how they were formed. Yeah, that's yeah. It'll be a super interesting. And that out. is definitely how most of the original communities were formed. It's tinkerers, it's hobbyists, it's punks on the edge. You know, San Francisco still has this deep counterculture hippie underbelly. That is how a lot of these amazing communities and virtual worlds began uh is in that sort of vein of resistance and um yeah i I think that's gaming is also super interesting because you it's difficult building for gamers but if you do it right you have a passionate base and the definition of being a gamer is broader now it's not just someone who's console gaming in the basement like it's just everyday life at this point no 100 percent and dovetailing, if I may, <clears throat> from subcultures to subreddits, um, would love to get your take on the current, what should we call it, mutiny, <laughs> anarchy happening at Reddit. I mean, it's today, isn't it? It's blackout day. A hundred percent. I think just in terms of when communities, and it's not definitely broken, but it definitely is. It, there's there's friction. Pay your moderators. It's literally the headline. Like, I think you are blessed if you can find altruistic individuals who want to spend their free time volunteering, moderating communities. Um, And to the developers who want to build all of these apps because Reddit hasn't updated their app since years. Um, And uh, but at the same time, you know, Reddit also needs to have good unit economics and they want to turn that revenue tap on. So I don't think they're going to walk back from what they're doing around the API calls. Um, But I think that the takeaway from everything I've read from, you know, the, the folks who are in these subreddits is that 
They want to be recognized for their hard work. And I think that that is the big misconception around community. It's not a volunteering profession per se. You know, you you should pay a community manager and you should pay moderators and you should build with them, not, you know, just delegating. It's about, it's a, that's a whole, you know, ethos of community is to make it feel more like a co-op collaborative, which is why it's so exciting what, you know, FWB did, what Cherry's doing with Water and Music. It's giving everybody a voice in what you're building. And I think that Reddit would be awesome as a DAO, honestly. I'm just going to hot take, put that out there. Mm, I mean, they launched their token, right? As a, I'm not sure how extensive the rollout was, but I mean, that is what Web3 fundamentally is about, right? It's about community ownership and recognizing that contribution and, uh, you know, in whichever model that is remunerated or or, or, um, or returned. Uh, but ultimately that, I mean, from our point of view, you know, was my driving force into Web3 two and a half years ago. It was just like, oh, that's the thing that's been missing in all these experiments and all of these collaborations that have been you know, transactional, you know, on a, on a basic level, but, you know, finite, right? There was, once it's done, it's done. And there was no ongoing beyond whatever that, you know, partnership or collaboration was. Whereas if you layer in, um, you know, a token or, or, or a form of value that beyond extent, that extends beyond just that transaction, you know, it's a completely different mindset. Yeah. And I, I just want to shout out again, we're sitting in the amazing protein physical space right now. And I think we should continue to balance those two. And I just want to mention a company that's really exciting to me at the moment called tonic.xyz. And they are a digital art marketplace, uh, but they also allow you to have the physical print and they do the best of traditional art world. So you go, you see the prints up on the walls and then you can obviously mint the uh, digital version. Nice. So a bit like um, Damien Hurst's uh, currency, digital, physical yeah. vibes. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and I think that uh, that's very exciting because it's right now, obviously we're in a bear market and it feels very cold and crypto wintry right now but um (laughs) but um i think it's businesses like tonic that are doing a really good job of bringing more non-crypto native users in blockchain provenance is such a killer use case and art industry is just like perfect so yeah so i i think there are some very interesting companies building in, you know, out, out of the way of the view of AI and spatial computing who are just continuing to build towards that, you know, more utopian vision of, of community. Yeah, no, no, we're here for it. We're definitely here, here for, for it. it. Um, so talking about FWB, Trevor's in there. You've got Sherry, Water Music. Love Sherry. She's been on the podcast. Um Maybe sort of for those who aren't aware of either of those communities, um, as we have, uh, you know, within Protein, we sort of bridged the two Web 2 to Web 3 worlds. Um, Maybe just some of the takeaways from those two interviews specifically in terms of what some of these new behaviors or how some of these new behaviors are showing up in a sort of Web 3 DAO 
you know, way in terms of community foundations or behaviors? Well, I think what's interesting about Trevor and Cherry is they both fully embrace this idea that technology can drive culture and it's their, they have lived and breathed and create firmly in that intersection and obviously both have music backgrounds. And so I think that um, what you know, Trevor did with, with Broad, with Lil Michaela, you know, first digital influencer through to FWB, where I remember sitting in like LA in a pool and Trevor was like, yo, I'm going to give you some FWB. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay, sounds good. And, um, you know, I set up a wallet and that was, that was my first, you know, alt coin currency, I suppose. And um, I, I think he, that is testament to Trevor's ability to make technology not feel intimidating and to bring his, you know, wider friendship group who are not Silicon Valley, like, engineers into, I'm not going to say, like, new gold rush, but into, like, a new field of opportunity. And uh, I think that's a key skill of, like, the best community creators and builders is he held, like, every single person's hand getting them into the first wave of FWB. And so I just want to shout that out because I think it's underrated if you are starting something. You know, Katerina Fake, the co-founder of Flickr, mentions this, is that you need to greet the first 1,000, and then she edits it, no, the first 100,000 people to make them feel welcome. And so I think Trevor did a great job of that. And then I think what, what Cherry is doing is fantastic in terms of what an amazing use case for a DAO as like a research organization. I think all museums really should be DAOs because then you it's not about just how much you donate, but it's how much you contribute. And then maybe you get to go behind the scenes of the museum. So I think that she's pushing what's possible for research and ownership and compensation. And uh, it's a really great interview because she started it as a newsletter so I think it's pretty inspiring for any individual to read this interview and be like, oh, wow, you know, now, I, now she has a huge community of subs. Yeah, no, no, it's so good. And like I said, like a lot of, <clears throat> you know, resonant points throughout the whole book, but especially those last two because it's very close and we know them well, right, in terms of the Web3 communities. Which the protein are, gang. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> it's actually Seed Club, which is... Um, oh, Seed Club. Yeah, oh, cool. We're sort of cohort two Seed Club. And, you know, that as a community of communities, for want of a better definition, is, I mean, I mean, hugely valuable for us just in terms of the alumni who have come through and the connections that, you know, at the time we, um, I think we all still are, you know, asking the questions and working out what a lot of those next steps are. Uh, but ultimately, if you do that together, as you're saying with your founders, you know, um, crew, it just makes it a lot easier and, you know, a lot more fun. Oh, um, so much easier. But yeah. the thing that resonated, a couple of things on Trevor's interview was the role of MySpace. Great to chat about MySpace. <clears throat> um, but equally, the importance of IRL and, you know, basically parties, um, yeah. which we, <laughs> we know a thing or two about because that's ultimately what, as we are in this building, Less so here, more in our previous building, because the rent was a lot cheaper. We didn't have to make so much money selling it to someone else. But, yeah, some things don't change, right, in terms of giving, getting people together, give music, free beer, and, you know, off we go. Events are 
so critical to keeping communities breathing and alive and multiple people in the book mention this particularly Lance from Club Penguin because Club Penguin parties were a major thing and they uh, they just blew the platform up because every kid would go and like meet their friends in Club Penguin they'd be at the party and then they'd collide with other friendship groups and um, yeah architecting that physical or virtual place where people can have those parties and meet others is, is awesome. And, and yeah, Trevor is just so on point with understanding like where the aesthetic of a current moment is and what that vibe is and then how you, yeah, how you, how you bring those certain people together, which is something we touched on earlier is like the ability to curate who's in your MySpace friends or who the first people are in the community. The bar should be high. You should have that application form to enter the community. There should be a Zoom, like, onboarding call. And then you should give somebody responsibilities. Well, well now, you know, you should welcome the next person. And I think, uh, I mean, I don't know if you would struggle with this with any of your clients, but I think, like, that's not really very scalable to do. It's extremely intensive and it's not difficult. It's not hard, um, but it is difficult to measure the ROI on that level of human uh, investment. But that is the critical thing needed to create longevity in any of these spaces. Yeah. That's my point about quantifying it and what's, you know, 100 people versus 100,000 people what's more what's more valuable it all depends who those hundred people are right (laughs) absolutely it all depends on who they are and I think that we live in this age of like endless endless broadcasting you just can't deny the addiction of short form video and so maybe there's an argument where community just exists further down the funnel you have all of your top of funnel broadcast and then the people who are really committed who are going to be your most high value loyal customers yeah, they come into the community. Audience versus community. Oh, yeah. Just to wrap up, and I'm, I'm loosely aligning <laughs> this with our recent community report because there's so many points of connection reading the interviews, but equally uh, the research that we've sort of found um, you know, through, uh, through our various methodologies. But I think the final one, which we call the economies of it, you know, the business of community, right? It's... And yeah, you've touched a few, Water Music, subscription-based, FWB, I don't know what their business model is. (laughs) They've got multiple, and I still think they're working out which is the best one. But fundamentally, for a community to be uh, successful, to exist, to continue, to be sustainable, it still needs essentially an economic model attached. And would love just to hear some of your thoughts, certainly maybe in the more, you know, more recent communities versus, you know, the earlier ones, which were predominantly VC backed and more sort of tech startup. Just, yeah, maybe just some examples of of, of some of those economic models that you've seen uh, that, you know, are exciting or interesting. I think it's subscription only. It's just... You have to have tremendous scale to really monetize through ads. So subscription is the key business model that I think all communities are moving towards. And whether you are paying in tokens or fiat, 
you should be paying to show up in this space. I think that is a theme that also runs through the book, which many of the founders mention, is that subscription is such a great way to go because, one, obviously predictable revenue. Um, but it also just cements that value exchange. You know, I'm I'm paying to be here and show up and you should provide the value for me too. And I'll also be a valuable member. So I think, you know, back to the clubhouse, uh, not the app, the Rafa clubhouse uh, idea that, it, you know, it, it's not just customers buying goods. That's a customer, that's a user. And I talk about this in the quadrant in the book. But if you, if you were paying to subscribe to be a member of a community, just like you would be as a member's club, it's not that different. So to me, that is just the business model where it should be. Yeah, no, no, I, yeah, to, totally agree. And, uh, you know, as you say, seeing different iterations of that value exchange, you know, whether it is through Patreon or Substack or, you know, from a, from a, from a creator economy perspective, um, you know, now becoming well-established, but you bring that into a Web3 or more of a tokenomics, you know, versions of it, there's still value there. Um and, you know, still an exchange there. So still, yeah, super interesting. Um, okay, uh, getting to the end now. Um, all right, final, well, two final questions, three final questions. Um, <laughs> any top tips for uh, community builders out there who are considering, you know, building, launching, scaling, evolving their current community? I'm going to try and say something other than that isn't obviously obvious. buy the book and read it. Yeah, other than <laughs> buy the Rise of Virtual Communities uh, no, now available. Uh, available. Um, hmm. I mean, there's all of the fairly vanilla advice, I suppose, around taking the time to figure out what the purpose is. Start with that. You know, what 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 is the purpose of this community? And really. Go as narrow as you can. Be so, so narrow. And it's not just people who like Ethereum. It should be much more specific than that. It should be, you know, people who grew up in Hong Kong and have a dog and also like Ethereum. I feel like the more specific you can get it, the more niche, the better, because then you have that shared context where you have different, you know, threads, I've said thread a lot on this podcast. Um, but I think that would be my advice is you can go bigger, but just start really small. We used to talk about this at Discord. You know, think of when you're like architecting your server or architecting your community space. It's like, you know, Disneyland, you're going to have one ride first, you're going to have the ticket booth. And then you're going to be like, wow, now we're going to do Space Mountain. Oh, and then we're going to do this. And that can all come over time. And I think people sometimes get overwhelmed by trying to like over-architect a space. And that doesn't make it feel like you're building with your community. So that's my advice. Yeah, I love that. Um, what's the best way of someone contacting you? Twitter DMs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just uh, Anne Brathton, and I uh, am shamelessly addicted to Twitter. So uh, there you go. Um, and final question, anybody you would recommend that we have on the show? Doesn't have to be one person. <laughs> Doesn't have to be from your book either. <laughs> I mean, I, I keep rereading my book, and that is a crazy thing to say, but I'm like, wow, God, that is such a good conversation. Um, I, I'm just going to say that uh, Sampo from Havo Hotel 
was phenomenal to talk to. And love, they... Love pi- oh, they just pioneered so much stuff, you know, because they were in Finland. Yeah. And they did a deal with Nokia where you could text to buy Fernie. And hello, what are we doing now? You know, like we would say the same thing. So I, I think Sampo would be my recommendation because he's doing a lot of cool stuff now. And uh, yeah, otherwise... Um, I would say Bonafide Han, Twitter username, founder of uh, <laughs> Decca Art, which is a, you can kind of think of it like a generative art, like Tumblr. Uh, I think you'd be quite into it, actually. Okay, I'm going to look that one up. Decca. Right. Decca, sweet. Amber, thanks so much. This has been great. Um, good luck with the launch. What? Well, we're doing the launch we're tonight doing downstairs. We're the launch tonight, yes. <laughs> good luck with the future launch, the rollout of the book. Yeah, it's a really good read. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me.